Hi, this is Cindy Godwin, pastor of Summit Church, and this is our chosen podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope that it helps build up your faith and remind you that God has chosen you and set you apart for His purpose. Enjoy the message. Well, I'm about to bust out some fire and do acrobatics for you, so get ready, everybody. I'm just kidding, but I have done a lot of physical therapy, so I could do some, I'm just kidding. Um, So, right about now, I could imagine that you're like, wait, I came to Chosen to feel fearless, and I see a lady in a wheelchair on the stage, and this looks like it might be kind of sad. Maybe it would bum me out, and I don't want to be bummed out on my Friday night. And um, yeah, you're a little confused. Or maybe you're the really sweet Texas church lady on the back row who's, who's turned over ever so gently to the lady next to her and whispered, bless her heart. Oh, that sweet little thing. She must be having such a hard time. Well, let me assure you, I am not having such a hard time. And and I just can't walk very well. And um, you know, it's so interesting. I don't want to bum you out, and I hope you won't be from our time together. But actually, I don't want to inspire you and show you that the triumphant life we're living is so overcoming. It is, but that actually is not something I'm concerned with either. It's so funny. I don't, I don't feel a call to uh, make you sad or make you smile. I think I'm called to something different. I think um, what the Lord really wants me to call you to is twofold. Um, One, potentially, is curiosity, actually. I think the Lord longs for us to actually show curiosity without assumption to each other. I think that is such a beautiful concept for us to wonder, like, wait, What is going on in her story? What is going on in their lives? And look each other in the eye and show true, real compassion and not just make somebody the stereotype of what you think about them. And I think that is so important in our world. I also, while I don't want to necessarily inspire you, what I do want to do so deeply is relate to you. I long to connect that we all have stories of brokenness. They all look so different, and some are on the outside like mine, some of mine, and some are on the inside. 
like some of mine, actually. And we've all got them. You know, I've got this big old chair on the outside of my body and a paralyzed face and a hand that doesn't work and a whole slew of issues. But I think it is just a word picture, actually, of what we're all feeling. Because nobody feels like they got it all together and they're totally free from anything holding them back in this life. That's a myth. The reality is we all have invisible wheelchairs. Every one of us. I, um, oh good, you're seeing it behind me. I'm like, I, I, the slides are somewhere. Yes. Here's where it gets really cool. <laughs> Excuse me. So we all have invisible wheelchairs, I believe. And it took me many years post-stroke to sort of wrap my mind around this one. It wasn't like I woke up the day after the stroke in the wheelchair and thought this cool thought. No, years of marinating, and I think the Holy Spirit really um, just shared this deep comfort with me that um, shortly after the stroke, when I had to start spending my days in a wheelchair, everybody would say to me, Catherine is, or say about me, I guess, Catherine is wheelchair bound. Catherine is, you've heard this, wheelchair bound. She's in a wheelchair full time. She's wheelchair bound. And it just never settled right with me. And I realized it's because I'm not. <laughs> And not because I can pop out of my wheelchair. No, that has nothing to do with it, actually. It's nothing physical. The reason I am not bound by a wheelchair is because the wheelchair is actually my avenue to freedom. I'm actually wheelchair free because the wheelchair is enabling me to go, to be in life, to show up for the story that God is writing. Yay, Lord, yay. Yeah, the wheelchair, when I sort of look at things a little differently, which is what we're called to do, redefine this, this isn't holding me back. This is pushing me forward. This is allowing me to steward what God has given me on this earth. And so I don't pretend that I woke up the morning after the stroke and was like, yes, avenue to freedom, absolutely. No, years of marinating and processing and just crying out to the Lord like, what are you doing in this story? And I think that's what we all need to be doing is as Christian women, I think we do a really good job of, okay, emergency mode, good soldier, going to do the next right thing. I'm going to be the good Christian girl and I'm not going to think about anything. I'm just going to emergency mode, survive this. Instead, perhaps when the time is right, we start to examine we start to see things possibly differently. We start to look at the pieces that remain and possibly, dare I say it, find gratitude in these messed up pieces and maybe make some connections. I mean, it's 
pretty undeniable that all of our lives are not perfect. Does anyone's life perfect? No pain, no problems of any kind? No, we all have all kinds of pain and problems that look very different from each other, no doubt. But what is consistent is we can kind of shift the narrative. We can kind of wake up to, wait, why can't the absolute and complete upending of my life mean that I see the upside-down kingdom of God more clearly? Isn't that the great opportunity in our suffering? To see, wait, I'm going to see behind the veil a little now, and I'm going to live differently because of it. Let me sit down before I hurt myself. But like I told you before, I could be the the fire, fabulous acrobat lady uh, because I can do a little dancing myself. So I just got to show you. Just pretend there's like fire shooting in every direction. Thank you. That was my moment. And now I will carry on. I am... I'm going to share just a a little Reader's Digest version of my story. And um, yeah, it's so interesting. I, I almost hate going over what happened to me because I think that makes it about me. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I was saying before, I almost just want you to know I had a stroke and it was really bad. And now I talk about it. And leave it at that, because it doesn't really matter. We all have really bad stuff. But I know if I don't share a few of the specifics, you got lots of questions, and they're keeping you from absorbing the message because you're so concerned about what happened to her. Um, So I am going to go through just a really quick little version. So, okay, here we go. I was born in Athens, Georgia. I grew up there, went to a wonderful, sweet Christian college in Birmingham, Alabama, Stanford University, and I married my college sweetheart, Jay, in 2000. And we promptly moved to Los Angeles, California to have this like wild adventure while we were young. So life was wonderful and easy, and we were living in Malibu. He was going to Pepperdine Law School. We were just having this crazy fun adventure. And I got pregnant. We had a baby, James Thompson, born on October 16th, 2007. Yeah, I know. Those are happy tears, I promise. And and, um, six months and five days after he was born, I woke up and I felt weird. And I just couldn't shake these funny feelings. I felt dizzy and just kind of... um, out of it, which, hello, I just had a baby six months before, so I'm not sleeping, I'm nursing, like, of course I'm going to feel terrible. So it wasn't that weird that I would feel this way. But as the day went on, I kept feeling worse and worse, and finally, I collapsed and started throwing up. And miraculously, my husband came home in between law school classes and was able to call 911, And the paramedics came to the married housing dorm we were living in and immediately determined it was something extremely serious. So they packed me up on the stretcher, and I have no reason to think this is anything remotely serious. 
I'm perfectly healthy. I have no medical history, no family history, no symptoms, no nothing. I'm, you know, the epitome of health and youth and all the things. And I just had a baby naturally six months before. I'm just, there's no reason to think anything's going on. And I can remember as they put me on the stretcher and we're leaving the apartment, I'm having these thoughts that now many years later are just so funny because I was so clueless. I can remember being like, hmm, I wonder if I ate a weird burrito yesterday and that's what this is, or we should grab a toothbrush in case I have to spend the night at the hospital and on and on, just such hilarious surface thoughts. And then the thoughts stop, they go black, and I go unconscious. And I wake up from that moment in the married housing dorm to a whole new life two and a half months later. Yeah, so I'd been in a coma um, from, from the AVM rupturing, which is what happened. Do we have a picture of the AVM? So that actually is my scan from going into the emergency room. I had an AVM, arterial venous malformation um, burst. Basically, it's a collection of blood vessels that had formed incorrectly since before I was born, which I love to say that when I was fearfully and wonderfully created in my mother's womb, there was an AVM in my brain. I was born with it. It grew and grew and grew until I was 26, and it ruptured in my brain stem. And when it ruptured, it caused a massive stroke, and thus they had to operate into a 16-hour brain surgery, microbrain surgery, to keep me alive. And this collection of blood vessels had four aneurysms on top of it. So it was like an aneurysm, but on crack. And so we have this massive collection that then causes the strokes and then causes the surgery. And here's where it gets really, really cool to tell you. And this took years to see, to see this reality. So I thought the reason I'm so impaired today is because I'm a stroke survivor, which would make sense, right? Like she survived the stroke, so she's very disabled now. Her hand doesn't work, her face is paralyzed, she's deaf in one ear, blind in one eye, can't walk, can't drive, blah, blah, blah. That's all because she survived the stroke. But that's actually not the case. The reason I am so impaired is because the wise and careful surgeon made the decision to make sacrifices in order for me to live, which is such a powerful, beautiful, just tenet of our faith that went, yes, glory to God, yes, that how... How beautiful and tender is the Lord that there may, in fact, be things removed or sacrificed, but perhaps they are so that we can live. It is, um, and there's a beautiful passage in Job. I think it's Job 12, 
where it says he wounds and he heals. That there can be wounding. And there, there is wounding, lifelong scars, likely. I mean, I don't put God in the box, but I'm probably never going to X, Y, Z again. And yet, I'm here. I'm showing up for this story. I believe if you have a pulse, yeah, I believe, thanks, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And I have a pulse. And in this uh, compromised state, um, I'm not really compromised at all. No matter where I've been, and you either, actually. I wish I had that perspective when I woke up. I should be clear. Like I said, that was years marinating to get to that point. When I woke up after the stroke, I just don't have words. There is no kind of terrible like those first few days. I, um, I couldn't even wrap my mind around it. I hooked up to all these machines, and obviously I can't do anything. I couldn't talk yet. They were feeding me through a tube in my stomach. I knew I couldn't move my head yet. My neck wasn't moving yet. I, I couldn't move my hands. It's almost like I'm just laying there and then I'm watching well-meaning, wonderful, sweet friends and family bring my baby in to see me. So I have to lay there and watch as little James is brought into the room. And then, <clears throat> and then um, you know, it's time to go feed James, or James is taking a nap now. And in my very altered state, I think, oh, finally, now they'll put him next to me in the bed, the hospital bed. Like, I'll take care of the baby. He's my baby. So that deep maternal instinct would kick in, and I'm thinking, well, well, now I'll take care of my child. And it would take a very long time before my brain could process that I was unable to do that at that stage. And that pain, whew, it, was, it was probably the worst of the whole ordeal was not being able to take care of James. Um, I think we brought a picture of my first Mother's Day when I was still in ICU. And I have such a love-hate relationship with that picture because I have no memory of that day. So in a way, it's really special that we have it. Um, but it's also incredibly painful because I don't have memories of it. And you know, um, this is a really good place to say that, you know, I am full of the joy of the Lord and I am full of hope in him. And yet, and yet um, there is still sadness and sorrow and I think we, as a body of believers, have done each other such a terrible, terrible injustice by saying that all things will necessarily be made well and new right here in this world. 
And my understanding of the Bible is that all things will be made new one day. And that may not be while we're on earth. There may be a low-grade sorrow that is lifelong. And I don't know if any of you know of David Crowder. I just love his music. And he sings this beautiful song where the lyrics say, Earth has no sorrow that heaven won't heal. You may know it. And I resonate so deeply with that, that earth has no sorrow. Well, we're on earth. There is sorrow. And one day there will be no more tears. And no more pain, no more crying, no more sadness. But I don't think that's today. And I, I think this tension of sorrow and joy and true sustaining hope when there is hard in our lives is something that I'm really called to champion for the rest of my days. And... Um, one of the joyous moments to tell you about after the sadness of that picture with baby James coming to see mommy in the hospital is another picture in the hospital seven and a half years later where I biologically had my second child, John. Thank you. Oh, thanks. John um, was born at 7.07 .07 in the morning, seven years after my stroke, and we named him John Nestor. Nestor was my surgeon who saved my life's name. We did not know this at the time, but Nestor in Hebrew means seeker of miracles. So crazy. We named him for my neurosurgeon. And inadvertently, we named him the seeker of miracles. And that is our prayer for John, is that he will um, get to tell his story of how he is this profound picture of broken things that make new things and near death and new life and truly the gospel, what we believe. And um, yeah, it's really cool to be his mom, he's now seven, and James's mom, who's now 14. And yeah, there we are. Y'all, that is at my 40th birthday party. Brooke was there, yay! That... That is, um, yeah, that's back in March. I just turned 40. I know you thought I was 22, but I'm 40. And um, yeah, we're, we're living the dream. And I mean that. And you may notice the dream includes mom has to be seated in her 40th birthday picture because she can't even stand up for long. And I mean it. It's an incredible life. And it's doesn't mean there isn't hard things. There are. But, I mean, life's going on, and we're getting the opportunity to live it together. And all of its mess, all of the hard parts that are still coming at us all the time because we're on earth. And, yeah, as I share kind of my story, the quick version, I hope you're just thinking of your story and your chapters and seasons and the pieces that make up your life. I think perhaps when we've been through some hard things, it enables us to see some things more clearly. 
And, you know, I love this image that when you are thrust into the deep darkness in your life, that perhaps there is some treasure there that God is calling you to cherish. It's the beautiful truth of Isaiah 45.3 that he says, I will give you hidden treasure in the darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am God, the God of Israel, the God who summons you by name. I find such deep comfort in that. And I um, I think perhaps this thought is some of my primary treasure from the darkness. And I plan to cherish this and champion it for the rest of my life. And it is this thought. Okay. So I decided that the English language did not handle this concept well, so I made up a word. The word is good hard. It's one word, the good hard life. Good hard is kind of like bittersweet, but even deeper and richer. And I love this thought because life is not just good or just hard. It's both. At the same time, they're not mutually exclusive. They coexist. I think that's all of our lives. We are desperately trying to teach our two little boys that, that life is good and life is hard, and they, they coexist. I use the word good hard a lot these days with my angsty 14-year-old and my growing 7-year-old and talk about how it's not one note. Life is complicated, and it's good and it's hard. And it's so interesting. I think we have so incorrectly identified what the word good actually means that we can't, we can't see good things for what they really are, including, I think, we do not think that our lives are good, that God is good, that our pain could be used for good because we don't understand what good actually is. We think, okay, good, I need to look good and feel good and get all the goods and that's the good life. And, hmm, well, could that be it? You know, it's really interesting to explore, like Psalm 84:11, where the psalmist writes that there's no good thing withheld from those who are walking uprightly with God. But don't we all know plenty of people for whom this has not been the reality? They are walking uprightly with God, and it certainly feels like God is withholding good from them, doesn't it? He withholds no good thing. How is that possible? How? We, we've seen the opposite. We know too well it's not true. 26-year-old girls have massive strokes and nearly die. Parents, children get cancer and die. Drunk drivers hit uh, a child who just learned to drive and that baby dies. And 
They're paid in balance of all kinds. And um, I kind of did a deep dive and through kind of a long story I'll skip, I got to this incredible theologian from the 1600s named Sir Richard Baker. And he wrote the following, and it has absolutely changed my life. Don't put it on the screen yet. I'm going to say it first slowly. But listen, if you're taking a nap, wake up. This, this stuff is like gold, life-changing words. So you need to remember this when your life falls apart. Here we go. The good things of God, the truly good things, the best things, are not things at all. They're not things. They're nothing this physical world can ever touch because the truly good things of God are peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, the fruition of his presence in this life, and the assurance of his face in the next. Of these things, we can know God will never withhold. Okay, you can put them on the screen now. Okay, feel free to take a picture if you want to remember it, because it is glorious. I'll say it again. Peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, fruition of presence in this life, and the assurance of his face in the next. And yeah, I know. Okay, so I'm going to stand up again because your brain receives the message differently if the speaker stands up. So here I am. Here we go. That sounds awesome, on a Sunday morning or on a Friday night women's conference or when we're feeling all the feels and good things of God, absolutely, yay, Jesus. And then on Wednesday, when your life totally blows up, it doesn't feel so good anymore. It doesn't feel so true. You're not shouting the good things of God. You're like, what, what? I don't even know what to do right now. And I have a theory. I think what we've got to do is we must get really bossy with our own souls. I think what we got to do is get kind of sassy ladies with our own soul and do what the psalmist did in Psalm 42.5, where the psalmist writes, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. See the change? Talking to the soul. For I will again praise him, my rock and my salvation. So we see him basically get his soul back on board and says, this is what we're doing. You may not be feeling it right now. Because the thing is, is feelings are constantly changing. Feelings are not going to take me ultimately to where I want to go. And... um I'm going to sit down again, but I think that's um, what we have to do in our lives is get sassy with our souls. That message 
is why, and that and many more messages are ones that I get to share with this beautiful community that my husband and I have created called Hope Heals Camp. We started this little community of people where someone in the family has a disability on the outside and the entire family unit gets to come to a vacation-like week at our summer camp totally for free. And it is glorious. Are you seeing pictures? You should see. Yep, here we are. There's pictures of it. It is so beautiful. Something about the brokenness of all these people with all these different problems on the outside. We got amputees and spina bifida and Down, Down syndrome and way lesser, way more, all in the mix together. It's glorious. And I have a lot, I wish I could talk to you for two hours about why there's this electrifying, fast-forwarding camaraderie, but I'll simply say this. Among the many reasons this community all feels like they've known each other for forever and is so just deep and rich, is that everything's on the table, that life is not perfect. It's fascinating. They are all corporately, me too, we are all corporately saying, yeah, life is really messed up, but I'm here for it. I'm here for this moment. And yeah, no one's asking, hey, where is your perfect 18-year-old going to go to college in the fall? They're asking, do you think your 18-year-old will live to his 19th birthday? So there's this extremely like deep, palpable reality in this group that changes the dynamic drastically. There's just this very, very powerful brokenness on the outside that somehow unlocks like a real inner reality that we're all broken. It's very, very beautiful. So what I thought would be so fun to do with the few minutes we have left is for me to basically share with you just like I do with our campers, which basically is to give you a little pep talk, people, because here's the thing. You are campers, too. You may just have disabilities on the inside, or maybe there's some other stuff going on. You got some on the outside. But regardless, we've all got steps, and we're all home field campers at heart. So would you indulge me in giving you a pep talk of some things I think you need to know? Great. Wonderful. So, <laughs> number one. Ladies and a few gentlemen I see I think the first thing that we have got to do together is disrupt the myth that joy can only be found in a pain-free life. Because that's not true. Life is full of pain and can be full of so much joy. Number two, you get to be a living survival guide. Listen, whatever you are going through, whatever you have been through, somebody behind you gets to come after you 
It is the beautiful truth of 2 Corinthians 1 that we get to comfort each other with the comfort that we have received. I like to say it this way. The trail that you are blazing through the unique suffering that you are going through will eventually illuminate the path for someone else through their darkness. What could be more soul-filling? Y'all, it is insane. Somehow, when we recognize that we are the survival guide, that we are the way, the manual of how to do this, it changes how we feel about our circumstances. It is so powerful. It fuels recovery, in my opinion. Because when you say, you know what? I know somebody's coming behind me. And listen, you get to do this tomorrow. You get to go back to the worst place you have ever been whatever that looks like, put out your hand, look somebody in the eye and say, you are coming out too and point them to Jesus. That's what you get to do right now. And the most amazing thing, this will change your life. It's so incredible. It is fuel. You would think, I'm so depleted. I can't do it. I just don't have the energy. I can't be worried about other people. I just got to go inward. It doesn't work like that. In God's economy, going outward heals this. It heals your heart. It's crazy. Number three, celebrate process, not outcome. Here's why. Outcomes don't always come. This side of heaven, we are not promised any outcomes. We must celebrate the process of our lives, everything. If you follow me on social media, which maybe a few of you do, you may know I love to hashtag don't wait to celebrate. I love this idea of do the thing and do it again and make it a party. What are we waiting for? Like, the end of our lives, like let's enjoy each moment, each day that we have together. Number four, cultivate ridiculous gratitude for what remains. Cultivate inappropriate levels of gratitude for whatever is left in the rubble. I mean it. I love this one. Can you tell? First of all, it has the word ridiculous, and I love that word. But also, I love this thought that the, gra the gratitude for what is in the story is so great. There's no room for bitterness about what isn't. It's here. It's glorious. Psalm 16:6. you may know that passage, says that the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Somehow, this right here is pleasant, it's good. These boundary lines are keeping me safe for some reason. So maybe I should cultivate this. You know, they say the grass is always greener because she's watering it. Like your grass is brown and dying because you are doing that. So let's do that. Let's cultivate crazy gratitude for what's left. Number five recognize that you are on assignment. I love this one too. Wake up. Your life is on purpose. <laughs> recognize you have been assigned to your life for a specific reason. All the specifics of your story, both really good and really hard. You know, I probably could 
could do some like good therapeutic work right now by telling you like a laundry list of everything in my life that is hard. And then I could probably listen as you shared a laundry list of some hard that you're going through. And what if we start to look at that of, okay, wait, so maybe there's an assignment factor happening here. Maybe the Lord is saying like, I've chosen you for this. Not just, as my sweet friend Brooke reminded me, I told a fellow suffering friend years ago who was feeling cursed by her story, no, no, it's not cursed. It's another C word. It's chosen. You're chosen for this, which, side note, isn't that the theme? Kind of cool. Kind of cool the Lord reminded you, who reminded me of the theme of this conference is chosen. It's really a beautiful thought. You are assigned to your story. So what does that mean? Steward it well. Steward your story. I absolutely love the truth of Galatians 6, 4, and 5. I'm going to share the message version of it with you guys because it is just gold. I would suggest you put this one on your refrigerator at home or your mirror and memorize it because you need this deep truth. Galatians 6, 4, and 5 in the message say, Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given and sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best that you can with your own life. And that's my bonus for you. You know, I gave you the five points in the pep rally. This is actually the bonus. Number six is take responsibility and get creative. You know, you're not just going to end up loving your story. You're not just going to be like, this is so awesome. All these really hard things have happened to me. And yet, could you like take responsibility, not be the victim? Like, I don't know. Could I look at things differently? Instead of like a story where I'm the victim, and I'm obviously not talking about true victims of domestic violence, etc. But for instance, for me, I am not the victim of my story. Because of Jesus, I am the overcomer in my story. I am, yeah, yay, Jesus. I, I am more than a conqueror in this story because of him. And so are you, ladies of San Antonio, this amazing summer church and beyond. We are all stewarding hard stories. And I don't make light of really hard things, things that I can't really imagine. You know, I've had some hard things, but my list is not as long as many of yours of really painful, hard things happening in your lives. I know some of you in this room have married children. I can't imagine Burying a child. I can't imagine um, fill in the blank. I, whether it's financial, relational, there are so many atrocities that we suffer. But I want to encourage you all to persevere 
in whatever is in your story. I'm going to pray. And I would actually love to invite any of you who want to stand to stand and receive a prayer for perseverance in the story that God is writing in your life. I, um, I don't really know why I'm doing this. I don't normally ask to stand and pray, but it just felt right. Because something, something about the perseverance of Christ followers, I think it's how we cope with our really hard stories. And I don't have time now to read it, but at the end of Suffer Strong, in the prologue, in the epilogue, Jay and I write about um, a prayer that we say to our little boys at night. And I want to pray for y'all, actually, in this moment. And I want to pray Hebrews 12, actually, as well. In fact, I'm going to start there. Father, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled, and let us run or roll with perseverance the race marked out before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. We will consider him who endured such awful Position from sinful man so that we ourselves will never grow weary or lose heart. And Father, as we pray for James and John Wolf, I pray for each of these ladies and a few gentlemen that they will know in the core of their being that God made them to do the hard thing in the good story that he is writing in their life. I'm going to say it again. Father, I pray every person here know that you made them to do the hard thing in the good story that you are writing throughout their life. So whether tomorrow is the best day, the worst day, or the last day. May they live it well, Lord. May they honor you and persevere because they can do very hard things. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting ChosenEssay.com. Be sure to follow us at Chosen Essay on Facebook and Instagram.